run your own freelance business, or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another My JavaScript Story. This week, we're talking to Tim Caswell. Tim, you want to say hi? Hello. Now, uh, it's been a while since we talked. Uh, You were a a regular on JavaScript Jabber, so I'm not going to list all the episodes you were on. But uh, yeah, it's just fun to catch up, see what your story is, and see what you're doing these days. Cool. Let's go ahead and just dive right in. This is always fun to do with people that I actually uh, know somewhat well. So how did you get into programming? So there were these things called Commodore 64s back in the day. And your age is showing. I know, right? Yeah, I was born in the 80s, not the 70s. <laughs> uh, some people. So, um, I mean, they were great because it booted to a, a basic interpreter. Uh-huh. And and my my mom's dad like actually worked writing Fortran or something on punch cards as a job once. And like her college internship was feeding the punch cards to the machine. <laughs> and so she would she would buy me those what was it Byte magazine where it's like ten pages of code you type it into the Commodore and you have a game. Uh-huh. Yep. So I mean I started there just tinkering. I didn't actually learn a whole lot, but it, it gave me the basics. That makes sense. About how old were you? Um, I'd say I started playing with that about when I was five. Huh. Got a scar on my forehead from trying to climb a rocking chair to get to one of the disc. It was up on a shelf. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, man. I'm trying to imagine my uh, six-year-old. I have a six-year-old son. I'm trying to imagine him, you know, painstakingly typing code into a a basic interpreter. Uh, yeah, I don't, th- I don't think I was typing it at five. Oh. Uh, but, I mean, even, even to load a game, you have to type, like, three lines of code to load the program. Right. Like, it was great. Nice. So uh, let's fast forward a few years. H- how did you go from uh, typing basic into a Commodore 64 to uh, building stuff with JavaScript? Right. So one big step in between was we got a DOS computer, uh, 386SX, 16 megahertz, 16 megs of RAM. And I programmed QBasic on that thing for about a decade. Mm-hmm. And that was when I actually started learning programming. And it was right. cool because... That was one of the first languages to have what they call structured programming, where instead of go-tos, you have while loops and all this crazy stuff (laughs) that people just take for granted these days. Yeah, newfangled things like while loops. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) They called it structured programming. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Because, I mean, the Commodore Basic was like, you write the line number, 10, print high, 20, go to 10, like that style. 
And this had a full-on IDE with a debugger and step point debugging. And I mean, it was a huge jump. And that was this was before the internet. So I just had the online help that came with QBasic. It's part of DOS 5. And I learned everything I could in that. And then sometime in the 90s, the internet started coming out. We had CompuServe. And so I was able to like download like MIDI drivers or sound drivers or joystick drivers for the Commodore. Or not for the Commodore, for the QBasic. Nice. But then after that, I got a better computer. It was a Pentium. It had actually Windows. And that was when I got into web development in the mid to late 90s. So when JavaScript was still pretty new. Gotcha. What kinds of things were you building in QBasic? Games, lots of games, lots of platform games, mostly. Nice. Which well, the physics for those is surprisingly difficult. <laughs> <laughs> especially, if you, especially if you have no idea what you're doing. So were they... no... Oh, go ahead. I was just saying, if there's nowhere to look it up, it's it makes things interesting. Yeah. So were these original games, or were they were you still getting them out of magazines and things? No, they were originals. Um, like I had designed full-on game frameworks, and I had this RPG where people could like build their own modules, and like it, it was pretty advanced. Oh wow! By the time by the time I got into middle school, almost freshman in high school, I was getting pretty good at that stuff. Nice. I really didn't get into development or web development until I was in high school. So, and but yeah. But yeah, the web dev was definitely high school because that's when it came out. Yep. And I had I had a startup in the late 90s, 3sharks.com, and we made DHTML games that embedded in your new .com boom website. And it was pure JavaScript and HTML and CSS. And we were way ahead of the game. Like everyone thought we were insane. They said, why aren't you using Flash or Java? Yep. And we supported IE 5.5 and Netscape Navigator. Oh, I forget what version. And when IE 6 came out, I'm like, oh, finally a good browser. Oh, and, those were the days. And, and it was good for a while. And then it just stayed the same forever. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's funny, too, because now we talk about, oh, I have this client that's still on IE 6. Well, I mean, compared to what we have, it's a different platform. Yeah, but it was it was such a leap forward. I mean, back in the day when when we oh, had yeah. these things. So, yeah, Netscape layers were not my thing. I'm glad they pulled that out. Yeah, I never really got to that point. I mean, I was just fiddling with HTML in in uh, high school. And to be perfectly honest, I mean, you mentioned you were born in the 80s. I'm not that much older than you. I was born in the 70s, but only by like two weeks. Right, late so. 70s. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, and. And so I'm I'm thinking about the same era, you know, and I'm, you know, I was fiddling around with GeoCities and Angel Fire and, you know, oh, yeah. doing HTML stuff on there. And, you know, I'd go look up what somebody else did with JavaScript and copy it to my page and tweak it a little bit. Oh, GeoCities. I remember that one. That was fun. Yep. Yeah. And then we also did some programming. Um, we built some robots and things like that in my electronics classes and played with an 8086. And Oh, cool. You know, so yeah. stuff like that. We were, we were uh, putting in bytecode with with pins. Nice. And so we, yeah, we would uh, high, high, low, high, low, high, high, <laughs> and then, and then, oh, this is a jump command. <laughs> Put this over the register command. Yeah, that's the stuff I wish I'd done when I was younger. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's a lot funner, especially if you're beginning, because yeah. you, you you see the bridge. I. I finally bridged them when I was doing, oh, 
my eternal freshman year. I think I was a freshman for like five years in college. (sighs) (laughs) But one of those freshman years, I was an electrical engineer student, and we had the intro to, what do they call it, computing or electrical systems. And like there was a lab where you took the AND gates and OR gates and NOR gates, and you built logic circuits. Yep. And we learned how CPUs work internally, all the way down from, this is a transistor in the physics, all the way up to, this is your assembly. And then, of course, from assembly, I've already knew, because right. I've done C and all that. But is that, that whole, how does assembly tie to physics? That was the bridge I was missing. Yep. And I wish I'd done more of that. Yeah, that, that was fun stuff. I studied computer engineering in college, and so we got all the way down to um, tracing out the each transistors painstakingly on the you know, in the yeah. program to print the silicon. Uh, my my youngest sister's doing computer engineering now up in Rexburg, and yeah, she she loves nanotech. She's learning programming, so I think she'll do fine. Yep, absolutely. So uh, did 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 you go to school to get a computer science degree or? So I mean, I obviously had the experience before I went to college. Right. Um. So straight out of high school, I had a scholarship to Central Arkansas. They it was like full ride plus stipend. I later found out why. They were just trying to import people with good scores. The, the teachers had no idea what they were doing. <laughs> nice. I mean, we were we were that was back when schools taught C plus uh-huh. plus, and our and our lab was like write the C plus plus program. And I didn't know a lot of C plus plus, but I knew enough to do it. And my program actually compiled. And the lab instructors, her program didn't compile. But oh, wow. everyone in the class who copied her broken one got an A, and I failed because mine looked different. <laughs> <laughs> and I go up to her, I'm like, um, let me explain to you what my program does. And after three hours, I finally explained what this you know, short program does. And then she's like, all right, I'll give you a C. Okay. I'm like, all right, time to transfer. Because it wasn't just that one lab. It was like all over. It's a great school, but not for computer science. Yeah. So where did you wind up? Um... So I took a break for a mission, didn't touch computers for years, and ended up in southern Arkansas where my wife was going to school and just took the sciences there. Uh-huh. No computer science. Went to Texarkana College, took lots of maths, and that was good for that. And then it was UT Dallas where I actually got the real classes. Gotcha. And I did electrical engineering there for a while and then decided it was just too hard because I was working full time. I had kids, I had a mortgage, I had a full time job. I just, it's too much. So I switched to, <laughs> Software engineering, because I've been so burned with computer science. I'm like, yeah. software engineering, that sounds fun, which was probably a bad idea, because I'm not a manager, and I really could care less for agile process. And <laughs> But I do have a degree in software process now. <laughs> there you go. Where did you go uh, on your mission? Anaheim, Anaheim. Spanish-speaking. Oh, nice. I was, I was fluent Mexican. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, my sister just got back from a, a mission in California that was Spanish-speaking, so... That's fun. Yep. It's almost Mexico, not quite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll take your word for it. Um, but yeah, that was that was right during the end of the dot-com boom, so I missed right. all the fallout from that. But my, my, my startup had failed anyway, so it didn't matter. <laughs> yeah, I missed a lot of that as well. Um, I was in Italy, and so... Yeah. Mission. And yeah, again, you know, was focused on other things. So, but I came back and there were better versions of Windows and computers were faster yeah. and the internet was really taken off. And I just went back into web development. I mean, I also learned some Ruby and some Python. 
And in school, I learned some OCaml and some functional stuff because they had this concurrent enrollment thing where you could take graduate classes as an undergrad and it would count as dual credit. Right. And I said, heck yeah, because those were the classes I was interested in. Uh-huh. So most of the undergrad classes were extremely boring because I'd been, at this point, a professional programmer for almost 10 years. Right. And I'm just like, I'm done with this, but I have to get through <laughs> this to get to that. Yep. And those classes were awesome. Like there was a class on here is how you build your own SQL query engine from scratch and how to optimize it. Here's how to design your own programming language so that it's mathematically proven safe by your design and like network oh, security wow. and protocols and like things that are actually useful once you get to senior engineer type stuff. Yep. And so yep. I took all took all the interesting classes and dropped out. I'm like, I'm done. I don't need the paper. <laughs> That that's really interesting. I have a brother that's studying computer science now, and he's like, he's he's in like some discrete mathematics course. He's like, oh yeah, I'm going to use any of this stuff. And I said, most of it you won't. Well, discrete math is programming. I mean, it's logic, but you'll learn that through learning programming anyway. So yeah, and the induction stuff probably not. You're not going to mess with that. <laughs> yeah. So, kind of funny. Um, so yeah, so you you've been around for quite a while doing this stuff, um, and you've done some really interesting things uh, throughout your career. I mean, you built what was it Git in JavaScript? Oh yeah, <laughs> you uh, you've written your own uh, language. It was based on Lua. I'm trying to remember what it was called. Uh, maybe you're thinking of Love It. Love It, yeah, yeah. So the I mean the language is Lua, uh-huh. but it's basically Node.js for Lua. Okay. So it's a server-side Lua with all the same primitives as Node. Yep, and then you've also worked on a, a browser-based IDE system. Cloud9. Yep. Who was recently acquired by Amazon. It's now AWS Cloud9. Oh, really? And I was very pleased to see it. I checked it out, and it still had all the features that I had proposed and implemented back when I worked there. Nice. I'm like, yeah, they stuck. That's, that's confirming. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So that was oh yeah that was a while ago. Uh-huh. <laughs> so so what what's the thing that you're most proud of? What's the thing that you feel like you've contributed that has made the most difference in the community? Maybe those oh, aren't the same thing. Yeah, I definitely did a lot of stuff in the early Node.js days, getting that off the ground. My role was kind of the I don't know communicator, documenter. Like I made the how to node howtoknow.org blog, and I moved out to California, and I organized lots of meetups in the Bay Area. And I wrote, I designed the the Connect framework. That's the whole request response next thing that uh-huh. Express then used. Because I worked with TJ at the time, and he's like, "Oh, that's cool. Let me rebuild Express on top of that." Nice. So influence-wise, there's all that JavaScript stuff, and then ironically, the one project of mine that is the most popular by far was the one that was written in Bash. Oh, really? And you know what that is, right? I don't. NVM. Oh, right. Now, it's not my project anymore. Jordan maintains it. If you look at the graphs, it's like 90% his code. Right. But I, but I invented it. I created it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, that, that kind of thing is really handy. It's, it, it's insane how popular that one is. It surprised me. Like of all, my, my open source methodology is... I just make things, throw them on the wall, and if, see if they stick. Uh-huh. If they don't stick, I abandon them because I don't have time to maintain things no one's interested in. Right. And so I get a bad rap for abandoning things. I mean, I've got 400 abandoned projects on GitHub. Uh-huh. But, I mean, that's just how I discover what people want. I have two or three or four 
that are really popular. So uh-huh. it's fine. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and, and and VM in particular. I mean, you build your first Node project, you know, you can just install that version of Node. But the second you move on to something else, or have to collaborate with somebody else, that, that thing just comes in really handy. I didn't realize you were the creator of NVM. Yeah, yeah, it's still under my GitHub, so everyone thinks I'm the maintainer. I'm like, no, it's it's Jordan. <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> yeah. So so, what is your criteria then for? Oh, people want this. Yeah, if it gets if it gets traction, if people are interested, if it solves a problem. Mm-hmm. All right, do you have a number in your head as far as like uh, stars no. or downloads or? No, it's it's not very scientific, and it, and it varies a lot by how much time I have and how much interest I have. Right. If if I lose interest and no one cares, it dies. Mm-hmm. If I lose interest and lots of people care, I find a new maintainer. Right. Well, what's the process you go through for that? Uh, it's kind of organic. It's just so so. Levit, for example, that's what I'm still interested in, but I don't always have time to maintain it. And it's got a small to medium community, uh-huh. and so I'm slowly just adding people commit access as I see they they put in lots of issues. They answer questions on the mailing list. They submit PRs. I'm like, all right, I can trust you. You have access. And that way, if I'm busy, you're not blocked by me because right. I don't I don't want to be the bottleneck. Yep, I want to be a facilitator. That that makes a lot of sense. So with all of the things that you you start, you fiddle with it, it gets popular, it doesn't, and then you either abandon it or keep working on it. What are you working on now? What are you exploring now? Um well at the moment I'm just heads down crazy busy in my startup. Uh-huh. Which uh, right now is a lot of Node.js, but I want to make it more more poly what's the word? Lots of languages. Uh-huh. <laughs> Polyglot. Um, polyglot that's the buzzword all right but yeah it's a, it's a lot of a lot of node.js right now just because of the tight deadlines trying to get things out the door that's the most efficient for me because that's what i've been doing recently right um yeah. the mcu code of course is c code because it's a microcontroller right it's for a hardware startup so yep yeah i'm i'm somewhat familiar with dapley i know aj o'neill fairly well right um, you know he's still on javascript jabber so, you know, we talk. Um, I'm curious. So what's your role there? And um, do you want to just explain briefly what you're building over there? Yeah. Um, so I was hired on as director of engineering, uh-huh. which I don't know if that title meant much at the time, but things have since changed since then. And my title now is head of engineering, but I'm basically... I'm in charge of getting the product out the door, of developing the protocols, of developing the libraries, and I have a small team of developers under me that help. Right. And so my goal is, my job is to set the timelines, set the schedule. So a bit, a little bit of product management, like I deal with the business guys to find what the needs are. Uh-huh. And then I propose the actual code, the architectures, the APIs. I do the initial implementations. And then from that point, we have some guys on the team that are experienced enough that they can take over from there. Right. But they can help maintain it. They can fix bugs. They can flesh out unit tests, and they really enjoy that kind of work. And so, for me, that works well because I'm the I'm the initiator, <laughs> and I'm and I move through plow on the way. Uh-huh. And the the actual product we're making right now, my team is is an SDK for peer to peer services. Right. So think of anything that you can do with a desktop application on a computer. You can do with this system. 
Uh-huh. The, the difference is the back end runs on a server in your house. Right. This little this little nice round puck with glowing lights that's always on. And the client is whatever you want. It can be your laptop, your phone, your tablet, and they're going to securely connect to the server like kind of like a thin client, maybe not, but they'll they'll make service calls to this thing. Right. So we've got the core SDK pretty much done. I think we're announcing it sometime this week publicly. And right now we're just building services with it, like testing it, seeing how it works. Mm-hmm. We will probably have something to demo in a few weeks at CES, and we're doing a full launch early next year. Nice. So you're going to so, be at CES this year? Uh, I might be. We uh, definitely will definitely be there. I might be there. We'll see if I can make the logistics work. Yep. Where Where are you going to be at? I don't know that. <laughs> okay, get me a booth number. I'll stop by. All right, cool thing. But yeah, it's very exciting, very challenging. But I work I work directly with all the business people and kind of kind of play that in between. I, I very often at companies am in the role of communicator and facilitator. I I prototype things, I write code, and then I talk to business people, and I'm always the bridge between teams. Yep. That seems to be where I fit well. Well, and I've you know, I've been a freelancer, I've worked at a number of companies, and if if you don't have that layer of translation where um, what the business needs translates down into we've got to implement this with technology, a lot of things just really fall apart. And so, you know, it, it makes sense, you know, that if you're good at that, they're going to want you there. And Right. And we've also got one guy that's just, he loves UX and that whole, um, I don't know what you call that, a practice philosophy. And he's constantly doing research, trying to find out what the customers want, make sure we're making the right thing. And so I work with him as well. So hopefully this thing that we're making will be awesome and everyone will love it. That's the goal. Yeah. So but, um, has yeah. the product launched or will it be out soonish or do you know yet? Yeah, it's not done yet. Um, I think we're saying quarter one next year is when, because it was Indiegogo at first. And so we got to fulfill those first and we're getting those done. And we just started working on those, but it's going to be several months because we've got to do ramp up time with the factory in China and whatnot. Finish up the software. But yeah, I would say generally available probably late next spring. Awesome. And then you can go buy them. We're we're trying to get placement in all sorts of retail stores because our goal is general consumers. This is not a techie product. Right. We want normal people to have power to control their stuff. Right. Which, of course, makes it much harder. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. But it's worth it. <laughs> yeah, the techie people, if they think it's cool, will spend the time to figure it out. But the general consumer isn't always that way. Yeah, it needs to be frictionless. It needs yeah. to be easier to use than Facebook, which is pretty darn difficult. <laughs> yep. But we'll see. Makes a lot of sense. So how long have you been at Dapply? Uh, since April. Whatever that is now. What's this, December? Yep. Yeah, so a while. <laughs> a little bit. Oh, wow. Yep. Awesome. I mean, I average about one year to job. I'll probably be at this one longer. <laughs> but Yeah, it sounds like you're pretty well invested, not just in the company, but in the product and the problems that you're trying to solve and things like that. So, Right. I mean, I had a great job at Rackspace. They were nice to me. They paid me well. I got to work on Love It part-time. Uh-huh. This, this job just had a more appealing mission. Yep. And so that's what I'm here for. Yeah, well, and it's interesting too. I mean, I've been talking to a lot of folks lately because I'm doing a course on how to find a job. 
about talk to him about job fulfillment. And yeah, in a lot of cases, it's well, I like my job, but then you know, yeah, you find somebody with a more interesting set of problems or a more fulfilling mission or something like that, and you move on. And there's nothing wrong with where you were, but where you are now is 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 makes you happier. I will say this though, I undervalued the value of good income and benefits. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, whatever. I flip back and forth every few years. I and mean, that's yeah. why I'm freelance off and on. Yeah. Because I, I love my freedom, but I love my stability. And sometimes you just can't have both. Yeah, it makes sense. So if you could give advice to people, I, I'm curious, you know, just as far as kind of creating their story or their career, what would you what would you tell people? Um how do I not sound cliche? <laughs> I would say, well, it's all about balance. It's about balancing your needs with what you can do and always, always trying to move forward, always trying to improve. So, so on the one hand, you got to follow your dreams. If there's something you really want to do, you need to try to find a way to do that. Right. It doesn't always work out. Sometimes you just save up some money and then try a thing for a year or two. If it doesn't work, you go back to saving money. Because if you're if you're an experienced programmer, you can always get a job somewhere that pays. Yep. It's where for now we're still in very high demand. And then you can then use that money. Don't don't waste it. Save it. Use that money. That empowers you to then do more interesting things if you want. But if you're lucky enough to find a job that's awesome and pays well, I mean, why not stick around for a while? Yep. It's to me, it's all about how much value can you provide to the world. I, I believe in getting paid for value. I don't, I don't want to make money if I'm not providing value. Right. And I don't mind providing value for free, but it's good. I mean, like I, I've done, I don't know how many thousands of hours of open source that I've given away for free. But to me, that was just career investment. Uh-huh. Because that, that kind of work helps get you the paying jobs. And it helps keep me sane. Because sometimes... Sometimes your day jobs aren't the most fulfilling, but if you can just make an hour or so every once in a while to go work on something that you completely control, that you set the deadlines, then that alone will give you the outlet you need. I love so that's, it. that's where a lot of my open source comes from. Is I just, I mean, the job's not bad per se, but I'm like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if there was a programming language that had this feature? You know, I can make one. Let me go make one. Yep. And usually nothing comes of it, but you never know. Yep. Interesting. So do you feel like that kind of encompasses the, if you, if you could put a theme to your career? A theme? And like, does your advice kind of encompass that or? Uh, maybe. So, so my mission, my mission in the world is to inspire people to realize that they can do anything, mm -hmm. especially creative things. Right. I, I love the creative process. I love making things. That's why my that's why my nick online starts with the word creation. Right. And then I add IX because that was back when Linux and Unix and all that. It was like star IX. So I'm like, ah, whatever. We'll just add IX to it. It's creationix. Right. <laughs> and and it's and it's not ex, and it's not exclusively software. I mean, if you come to my yard here, there's an icosahedron jungle gym that I built one day just because I wanted to see if I could do the math because it's complex mm -hmm. math. I ended up having to pull out a CAD program to get the angles right. But then once I did, I got this icosahedron out of two by fours. And it's really cool. I don't even know what an icosahedron is. 
if you ever do D and D, it's the D twenty dice. Okay. Twenty triangles. So just imagine a big giant one of those at a two by fours. Nice. It's pretty cool. And you got some kids to climb on it and stuff. Oh, they do. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But yeah, I I just want people to realize that we as humans are capable of so much more than we do, especially creating. We have the power to create. We have the power to make things. And I gravitate towards software for two reasons. One, because it's very easy, relatively speaking. I mean, I love building things, but wood is expensive. Tools are expensive. You get sore, you get tired, you cut yourself. Uh Whereas with software, you can go out there, you can buy a $200 Chromebook, and you can start writing JavaScript. I mean, it's maybe not the ideal system, but you can do it. And you can publish it for free online. And I mean, it's almost limitless what you're able to do on a tiny, tiny budget. And so my, my goal is always to empower people. And in particular, I want to help kids realize what they can do. Because electronics for kids these days are very consumer-focused. Uh-huh. You just use the lockdown, polished, shiny device and download the games and play the rules of the games. And, and it's horrible. I want them to be able to create things. So if I had my dream, I'd make like a programming environment that works on a tablet or with a gamepad. Somehow, the gamepad's got these controllers and buttons. Surely we can find an efficient way to input code using a gamepad. Uh-huh. And then they could hook this little stick to their TV and they could write code. Like Stuff like that is what really gets me excited. Um, and the other side is just enabling people to own their data. And that's why I got stuck. That's why, and that's why I started in Dapplin. Yep. Because it's interesting. I want... I want I want to enable people. I don't know if that's a theme or not, but no, but it, it makes sense. And I, I definitely agree. I mean, um, what I find at least for me is that the thing that, that holds me back from that, that level of creation is my own crap, right? It's my own limitations in thinking. And, and so, yeah, just, just having that belief and then, you know, having the tools and, you know, yeah, I, I definitely see where, you know, just, just, yeah, pushing people and saying, look, go try it, go, go create it, go do it, go find a way. Yeah. For, for example, have you ever wished you could make your own programming language? Yes. Just, it's, and that does it seem like magic? Does it seem beyond your abilities? It does seem like magic until I actually sit down and start thinking about what the process is. And, you know, taking that first step, I mean, that's the thing is it feels like magic until I look at that first step and it's like, oh, well, I just want to make a plus operator. Right. And then it's like, okay, well, then I need to sit down and, you know, write some C or some C, C++ or something like that and compile it. And then do I have an interpreter that'll run it, is, you know, yeah. or yeah. however I want to approach it. But yeah, it yeah. does. And in a lot of ways, it seems like magic, especially with the complex interactions that we see in modern programming languages like JavaScript. Oh man, JavaScript's pretty complex. So, it's not yeah. it's not quite up there with C plus plus yet, but <laughs> man, that one's crazy. Yeah, but at the same time, you know, so I look at some of the ways that JavaScript is written or JavaScript does things, and it's you know, writing a plus operator seems pretty simple, but writing, you know, some of the functions and closures and hoisting and you know, I, I don't even know how I would start with some of that stuff, right? Right. And some of that you just need to be exposed to the ideas. Yeah. Some, but but a lot of it, like you mentioned, is that initial, you don't think you can. And if you don't take the time to look into it. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying everyone should write their own programming language or their own web framework or their own database. 
But I think we should all be comfortable to know that we could if we needed to. Yep. And that's why if you look at a lot of my talks at conferences, they're always mad science experiments. <laughs> nice. The, the one I did at .js in Paris was probably the craziest. I don't know if you remember that one. Uh-uh. A couple of years ago, I think. But I, I had proposed, I'm going to make a programming language for kids, for microcontrollers, for robotics, that has zero punctuation and a browser-based IDE so that kids can open up a Chromebook and program robots. Sounds great, right? It sounds crazy. And then I had to implement the entire thing for my talk. <laughs> so I'm in my hotel room in Paris the night before. I don't even have a compiler yet. Uh-huh. And I'm demoing it on stage in a few hours. Right. <laughs> but you know what? I demoed it on stage in a few hours. And my uh, held, I think he was nine then. Like he's on stage in front of a thousand people writing code for this language that I had just invented and taught him and making robots dance on the stage. And the whole point of that was not to show people, hey, I'm awesome. Look how fast I can code. It was, look, if I can pull this off, you can do anything. Right. I mean, yes, I have a little experience of writing compilers, but there's nothing special about me other than I'm not afraid to try. Yep. And if people just realize that if you're not afraid to try, gain the experience over time, you can do anything. Yep, absolutely. It's absolutely true. But I wouldn't recommend a talk that aggressive. That was not fun. <laughs> <laughs> that was a rough night. <laughs> I'll bet. Like, I don't even have a compiler. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> yep. Awesome. Well, uh, let's let's go ahead and start wrapping up. Um, Already? Usually we we just do picks. So do you have some picks? This episode is sponsored by Linode. Linode is offering listeners of this podcast a $20 credit, which is good for four free months at their lowest plan. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for $5 a month. You can get your servers in any of their 10 data centers, and their high memory plans start at 16 gigabytes. Get a server running in under a minute. They do hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups, node balancers, long view, etc., VMs for full control, running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 200 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guaranteed. So go check them out at linode.com slash JavaScript Jabber. Oh, picks. Oh, my goodness. Um, well, of course, there's Dapply. Yeah. <laughs> If anyone's interested in the SDK, well, we should be announcing it soon anyway. So just be on the lookout for that. Uh-huh. And I'm looking for people to write services and, and see if this platform is as awesome as I hoped it was. But the, the thing I designed. Right. What's a more interesting pick? Oh, dear. I don't know. Just enjoy the world. Enjoy family. Enjoy nature. I'm sorry if you're in Utah with the inversion. Uh, <laughs> Most people don't even know what that is. Um, so that's th- for the better. <laughs> yeah, the the two the two second version is is that we have so uh, at least where I live, I live in a valley, and so what happens is is you have uh, I can't remember if it's high pressure or low pressure, but the air comes in over the top of the valley and basically sits on it like a lid and traps all of the pollution. Yeah, and then we was... we we start praying for a good storm to come through and clear it out. Yeah, I was in Provo. What was it last week? Yeah. And by Wednesday, I was just sick from the smog because I guess I'm allergic to some of the dust. Mm-hmm. And then it snowed just a little, and I was so much better the next day. Yep, that's pretty <laughs> common. 
I'm like, oh, I can breathe again. Well, and there are wildfires in uh, yeah. California, and a lot of that winds up blowing our way. And so some of that, I think, got trapped in here, too, for a little while. But, yeah, other, other than that, enjoy nature. <laughs> yeah. Come out. Go skiing. That's right. There's some The mountains are great and clean. It's yep. the valley that's questionable in the winter. Yep, absolutely. Very cool. Well, I'm going to jump in with a few picks. I mean, you mentioned CES, um, and I'm I'm pretty excited to go. I, I've gone um, almost every year for the past several years, and it's always amazing what's there. Um, a few tips if you do wind up going. Um, set up appointments with the vendors that you want to see. Even the big ones will, you know, like I'm going to go to... I have an appointment with Samsung and they're going to show me all their stuff. And so you can get them with the big ones. And then you, you also want to find some of the smaller niche ones. So, you know, a lot of the stuff that Dapley's doing is cool. And so, you know, it's fun to go and sit and talk and, okay, this is what you're doing and this is how you're doing it. Um, there are a couple of AI and VR companies that I'm planning on going to see. And uh, I'm going to record some videos and, and put them out there. So, um, you know, just, just putting all of that together. And, and making it work has been a lot of fun. And then um, another pick that I have, and this is also related to attending conferences, um, I'm going to NG Atlanta, which is the Angular conference out there. And then I'm going to Developer Week, which is in Oakland, uh, right after NG Atlanta. In fact, I'm flying from Atlanta to Oakland and then back home. Um, and uh, I booked most of that travel on Upside.com. And... It was funny because when I initially looked at the cost on traveling, you know, for NG Atlanta, um, it wound up being about half as expensive on Upside.com. And uh, I, I don't know why, I don't know what they do, but uh, anyway, it worked out pretty nicely. So um, I'm pretty excited for that. Um, I do have a uh, code. Let's see. I'm trying to find it here real quick. Um, and if you use it, so you, the, the way that it works is you go in, you book your travel and then you get a gift card back as well. So I have like $35 worth of gift cards out there or something. Oh, cool. Um, so you get the gift card, you can get it on Amazon. Um, but then you also, you know, it's cheaper, so you save money and anyway, it's been pretty nice. Um, but they give you a referral code and the referral code is, um, if you book using the referral code, then you get a hundred dollar gift card for on your first trip and I get a hundred dollars in gift cards. And so it's kind of a good deal. So I'm just going to shout it out on here and then hopefully, you know, if people want it, they can go get it. They're not a sponsor or anything. I just kind of like the idea of getting a hundred dollar gift card because I saved somebody some money. So, um, anyway, the referral code is V G C U seven O. And so, uh, anyway, uh, and O is the letter, not the number. So, Anyway, um, cool stuff. So I'm going to pick them. So I thought of a couple more. If, Go for it. If I, if I can. Yeah. So some some cool software that I've been looking at. So one of them is uh, Beaker Browser. I don't know if you've heard of that one. But it's uh, it's based on Electron, uses the Chromium engine, but it has peer-to-peer protocols built in. So you can, brow- you can browse websites over the DAP protocol, for example. Uh-huh. And it actually makes a peer-to-peer connection through the DHT, the BitTorrent DHT, and it downloads it on this blockchain-like thing. And it's more secure than TLS, and you don't have to have domains, and you can self-host from your computer. Like It's really cool. Nice. So, so the DAP project and the Beaker browser is really interesting. And also, some of my buddies have made a 
social network that's off the web called Secure Scuttlebutt. And again, it's 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 another crypto-based thing where you you get on through these hubs that are kind of like invitations. And it's a completely encrypted end-to-end social network. And the people on there are really fun. It's a, a lot of techies, a lot of people living on farms and in a Hawaii and really cool stuff. And so if you want to have a time off of the normal web that's controlled by the big companies and on new networks, then try those out. I think technically that's called the dark web, but I don't know. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Yeah, yeah dark, see, web, dark web just means you can't get there with a browser, with a normal browser. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that, like TV shows, on the dark web. <laughs> I mean, in a way, a lot of Facebook is dark web now. Cause, but anyway, we're not getting into that today. <laughs> so, all right. Cool. Well, if people want to check you out on Twitter, GitHub, Maybe you have a blog somewhere that you can go check out. Where is all that stuff? Uh, yeah, Creation IX, Creation X on all of them. Awesome. Good deal. Well, thanks for coming, Tim. It was good to catch up. No problem. All right. We will wrap this one up and we will catch you all next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.